0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles. We're starting in chapter 6 of the fourth gospel, John's gospel, the spiritual gospel. John is, of course, well aware of the synoptics or the first three gospels that had been written quite a bit earlier from when he wrote his there on the Isle of Patmos or in uh, in Ephesus at the time. Uh, He is well aware and he's trying to supplement those synoptic gospel accounts that are very similar in their accounts, um, written around the same time frame, saying essentially the same thing, giving us the record of the birth and and life and lineage of Jesus Christ. And uh, John is, well, he's certainly synchronized with them, but he's adding something more to it. These accounts that we've been given have clearly demonstrated the deity of Jesus Christ. If there's anything that we've seen so far in the first five chapters, it is just that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the expected one who is coming into the world, that he might serve as a sacrifice for sins. We finish chapter 5. Chapter 5 and chapter 6 are very similar in that. Well, they're dissimilar in where they're taking place. Of course, chapter 5 takes place in Judea, and now they've moved on. As we get into chapter 6, they're up in Galilee. So they've traveled quite a ways, and the disciples are tired, and he sees that, and so he said, let's come away and we'll get some rest. And they do anything but get rest, as you will see as we proceed into the chapter. But it's very similar to chapter 5 in this way, that it begins with a profound miracle. The miracle in chapter 5, of course, was the man who was lame for 38 years sitting by the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus heals him. So it starts with a healing, and so does chapter 6. Chapter 6 begins with another miracle. Not a healing, but a miracle. It's a creative miracle. It's not a restorative miracle. He's not restoring somebody's lameness or their eyesight. He's actually creating ex nihilo. He's creating out of nothing. So this is new. This is new. But what is it new? What you'll see in terms of the way the chapters are laid out, the similarity is starts with a profound, undeniable, unmistakable, unequivocal demonstration of his, deificate, of his deity and the power that he has as the Son of God in creating. This miracle In public, broad daylight with many, hundreds, and in this case this morning, thousands that are witnesses. He does that first intentionally because after that, as he followed through in chapter 5 all the way to the end of the chapter in verse 47, is a long theological treatise, if you will, a long discourse. That makes it very clear who he is. He's proclaiming it. It's not necessarily something they believe. As a matter of fact, they reject him. They rejected him in Judea. After his discourse there, they actually wanted to kill him, verse 18 in chapter 5 tells us. And his word is what they're offended by. It's the discourse. And it's the same here. This is a long chapter as well, and it starts with a great miracle. This is... So six months to a year after what took place in Judea with the pool of Bethesda healing. It's about the year 29 AD and it's about a year away from his crucifixion. They will actually succeed with what they're intending to do and it's not because of the miracles. It's because of his words. And ever and always, it shall be. Even to this day, it's his words they resent. So, let's read through this magnificent miracle. There's, there's nothing like he steps up in terms of miracles. He's stepping things up here quite a bit. Let's look at this. Chapter 6, verse 1 to 15 this morning. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with the disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Father, we, as always, need your help with this account. This is massive, uh, not just in terms of its, this, the size of the miracle, the, the magnitude of it, but the power that's on display and the, the provision that unfolds before our eyes. We pause where we Humble and wise we would pause to take in such a grand event. And Lord, it was done with so much. And Lord, we pray that you would give us understanding, that we would be able to draw from this account the things that you would have us here as see here this morning. That in our lives... It might affect us. Though you're not here, sitting before 5,000 men and their families, we hear you, Lord, and you continue, nevertheless, to feed us. Indeed, you've taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. May you be pleased to do that now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So this is the fourth miracle in John's Gospel. The fourth miracle, of course, chapter 2, we saw the water turned into wine. So that's sort of a transformative miracle. And then we see, of course, the the second healing was the official son. And if you remember that in chapter 4, and these are uh, restorative healings. These are uh, the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda in chapter 5, the third healing. So this is different in that it's a creative miracle. He's literally making it clear, I'm sure it's not lost on you, that he's made it very clear, and intentionally so, that they have nowhere near enough, even even to feed the 12 disciples. Five loaves and two fishes. He wants everybody to know that. He wants that in the record. He knows how much is available. He knows that there's nothing there except for that. He wants them to take note of that. It's like they wanted to make sure that they knew that Lazarus was dead. Four days dead. He makes sure we understand the meager limitations of our means, our resources. And then he acts. It's, a, it's, it's remarkable. This is so powerful. This is the only uh, miracle, other than the resurrection, of course, that's recorded in all four Gospels. So it became part of my work to weave them together. Because there's things in the synoptics where we learn more information. It unpacks certain things, give us a little more detail here and there. So I've woven them together. And so as we go down through this now, we're going to do this a little bit differently, but um, we're going to go see what we can extrapolate from each one of these uh, things that take place in that miracle. But the sheer magnitude of this event is, is staggering. There's no miracle that's more a, a, a grander spectacle because you have... 5,000 men, they count that way, I'm assuming, because it would be easier than trying to count every man, woman, and child. But we know from uh, Matthew 14:21, those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So see, the synoptics are helpful to fill things out for us. We want to make sure and consult them as we go through our record of it. So there were women and children there. There were men, women, and children. So we're talking about quite a bit more than 5,000 people altogether. There could be anywhere, and people, the commentators come in on different numbers on this, but I, I think conservatively anywhere between fifteen and 20,000 people, if you count all the women and children, with the men. With five loaves and two fishes. So we see all of these people that are assembled there. But here's the other remarkable thing. They're not just spectators. they're participants. You've got 15 to 20,000 participants receiving from Christ ex nihilo, food, bread, fish. How much more undeniable can the fact of his deity be? It's clear, and that's why I believe he does the miracle first. So that it, there's without question, why, what does that accomplish? It accomplishes, at very least, the exposure of the hearts of the people that reject him. You can't say, well, I need more evidence. <laughs> Are you kidding? Do you think this story would have survived two millennia? If there were anything about it that were false, two thousand years, there were fifteen to twenty thousand at least that would have easily refuted that document, and it would have never survived as an encyclical. It would have been cast aside. Certainly, as the early church fathers were putting together the full uh, uh, codex, the full uh, canon of scripture, it took a Couple two three hundred years to do that in its final form, and we have some of those codices that survived. But during that time, it would have been among those remarkably brilliant theologians that were extant at the time taking care of these matters. They would have said, "No, this is this has been refuted by you know thousands of the people that were there that day." That's not what happened. This is real. What is the document, document that we? have today would make such a claim. And he does that intentionally. There's no question about who this is that we contend with. This is no less than the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of God, who's come to take away the sins, the sin of the world. That's him. And that's what John announced, if you remember chapter 3. It's, it doesn't end there. I mean, in the next chapter, we see him feeding 4,000, right? In chapter 15 of Matthew and in chapter 8 of Mark, he's feeding 4,000. So unlike the transformative or restorative miracles, this one is a creative miracle, which makes it even more spectacular spellbound these people must have been just amazing there's no greater attestation of his deity than this demonstration of power you remember John chapter 1 verse 3 he is the creator he's the creator God the eternally existent one El Olam everlasting God El Elyon he's the God most high Is El Shaddai. He is the God most powerful. Unlimited in His power. This is Him. Adonai. Our beloved benevolent despotess. Our Lord. Our Master. That's Him. That's Him. All the claims in Scripture are true. You remember how He ended chapter 5? After they decided they want to kill Him for equating Himself with the Father? It's... The words, it's the words that evoke the ire in them. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, remember this? Verse 45, Moses, on whom you have set your hope, For if you believed Moses, if you believed his words, if you want to reject mine, it's one thing, but you're rejecting the words of Moses, your hero, the one you've venerated, the one you claim, Moses, on whom you've rested your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. So the unbelief is willful. It's not that there isn't enough evidence. Enough evidence. Look at what we've seen already. Four miracles. Just four in John's gospel alone, could have easily been refuted anywhere along the first, within the first generation of their occurrence and certainly within the first few hundred years as they're pulling together what they say are the true scriptures that we have in our laps today. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? It's going to happen again. The very next verse. Except this time up in Galilee. Rejected in Judea. Rejected in Galilee. John 1.3. This is our creator God. This is him. He is, he is the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word what? Was God. So the word is God. This is Christ he's talking about. All things were made by or through him, rather, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so if he wants to make 10, 20,000 fish sandwiches, he doesn't even have to speak the word, does he? He just has to think it, it's there. Amazing. Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. That's Him. Colossians one 15 to 15-17, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. That's just a handful of verses, friends. In Colossians, this is Him. Undeniable. But I like Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you. we were just singing it. Our song leader had no idea this verse was going to be in my notes. God bless you, brother. The Lord sure uses you. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created what? All things, and by your will they existed and were created. Yet as spectacular, as magnificent as this miracle is, listened to what their assessment is after his discourse, after he gives his words. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Why? Why? It wasn't for a shortage of evidence. If he'd have given his discourse first, no, that's going to rock their world. It's going to change their heart. It's going to change their life. Change everything. It's going to tear down their belief system and the practice of their religion, their man-made self-system of ethics. He walked away. You could say they walked away not because of what he did, but because of what he said. And it's still that way. It's still that way. They won't walk away because of what you do. They'll walk away from you because of what you say. If you speak his words. If you're speaking from scripture, even principally, those who you've tried to witness to through the years, they'll turn away because of what you said. As long as you show the demonstrate or you demonstrate rather the kindness of Christ the compassion you serve them because he was he was the the servant he came as a servant as long as you do that they're fine but when you start talking to them using his words they'll reject you too John 20 30 to 31, we remind ourselves there again of what the purpose of this entire gospel was. Why did he write it? Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may what? Believe. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Who would reject life? In Him was life. In Him is all of life. If He isn't participating in a living organism, it dies. He is life itself. So we're going to look at nine life lessons learned from our loving Lord. There you go, brother. First of all, number one. So these aren't alliterated in some succinct pithy statement. These are going to be statements that you can wear. These are, these are things that I really want us to understand because they come straight from the scripture. First of all, as we're looking at this section, God understands the wearying effects of the circumstances he appoints and your need for rest. He understood that for us just the past couple of weeks. He understands the rigors of the things that he appoints to test you and to raise you up and to strengthen your faith. Here's how I come to that. I come to that not from this text, but from Mark's account. Verse 1 in our text, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. That's all we were given. Why? Because John knows that the synoptics already covered what the impetus for their travel was. Here it is in Mark's account in chapter 6 and verse 30 to 32. By the way, the other is Matthew chapter 14. We'll be looking at that as well. But in Mark 6, 30-32, we get a glimpse of why they did this. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. You can imagine him looking at them, and he sees how tired and weary they are. He knows the cost of this work. It has to be for what he says after that. It's the only explanation I can come up with. But Verse 31, And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. They're tired. I mean, beyond tired. They're exhausted. They haven't even eaten. They're probably just dragging in. And he sees them and he says, We're going to go. You need to get some rest. And they get in the boat. And they crossed from the west side of the Sea of Galilee over to the east side. Matthew 14, verse 13. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Oh, boy. Jesus, the omniscient one, knows, even though he said, we'll come and we'll get some rest, are they going to get some rest? Imagine that. These small boats, and we've been to the Sea of Galilee... And we've been to Capernaum and we could see, you could just imagine this in your head that it's very easy to see from their first century fishing boats. You can see the shoreline easily and they see these throngs. Why were they following? Well, another text says it's because of the signs. This is fascinating to them. They want to benefit from it. Mark first says now many saw them and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. They beat the boat. The boat cut across. They were on the shore. They wanted to see Jesus and His disciples because they wanted something. They're fascinated by something and we'll see what that is and how this plays out but I've already given you the spoiler as soon as he gets into the details of what this means i think we're going to go back i think we're we've had enough of this the second life lesson we can learn from our from all four of these accounts woven together is that jesus doesn't just tell you to be compassionate with needy people he personifies it for you. He doesn't just command that, and he does, we should be compassionate. He does more demonstrating that, doing it himself, owning it himself in his heart of hearts. That becomes the engine room, the affections that drive him. He sees something and he uses his senses, his senses to ascertain and evaluate how people are doing. He saw his disciples after they were doing done with their work and they're shot. They hadn't even eaten. They had no leisure. They had no break. And he said, let's get in the boat and go. Now he sees the crowds. What? I couldn't wait to get this question for you all this morning. What would you think? You went to get some rest. You hopped in the boat and you see throngs of people running Running to catch up to you. You wouldn't grumble though. You're good Christian men and women. I happen to know that. No grumblers here, right? <laughs> well, then uh, I'll uh, I'll fess up. It'd be hard pressed for me to go. You know what? Let's heal them. Let's feed them. An amazing lesson here. But he's. This is per- personification without without equal. So verse 2 of our text, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So that's the reason, Matthew fourteen fourteen, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That was his reason for doing it. He wasn't getting paid. He's, got, he's getting no return benefit at all. If the disciples are tired, do you think he was? He was fully human. But sadly, they didn't follow him around the north shore, of the Sea of, of Galilee, because they suspected, you know, this might be the long-awaited Messiah. I can finally get some help for my sin-fallenness, my wretched, wicked condition. And that's, maybe that's him. That's not why. They came for the food. They came for the healing. That's why they came. You can look at verse 26 of our chapter. Chapter 6, verse 26. He says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. That's why I'm one of them. I'm hoping he'll add a little bit more than that. I'm there for the free food. Did you ever go anywhere to event or anything for the food? I won't ask you to raise your hands. <laughs> Thanks, brother. <laughs> I see that hand. <laughs> it's true. I mean, that's, that's how we are. So they're coming for the miracles. They want the food. They want the healing. But they rejected what he had to say. Verse 66, as we looked at that, they reject him. Stunning, He knows this. This is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. He knows this. He knows this is going to happen. He knows that he'll be rejected. And what did that do to his sense of compassion? What would it do to mine and yours? No. They're going to reject you? How about we do that right now? Yeah? Clean break. He sees them. It it shows you something of the quality of his compassion, doesn't it? It Maybe the capricious nature of our attempts at compassion. Maybe sometimes it's just virtue signaling. Maybe there's some other expected return blessing to get from somebody or people that will know and see that we've shown compassion. I don't know, but it clearly wasn't his. This is a quality of compassion. Undisturbed, untouched by somebody's response. Somebody's hatred, somebody's resentment of him. Unsullied by human forms of compassion. Three, Jesus shows us that compassionate care includes both meeting physical needs. And teaching about the kingdom. Both. So when you go to serve needs, you speak, or that's what he does. I think that's what we're called to do. I think that's the main point, right? Jesus shows us that compassionate care includes both meeting physical needs and teaching about the kingdom. How does He do that? Luke 9, 10-11. On their return, the apostles told Him all they had done. He took them and withdrew apart and to the town. Here we get the name of the town where they landed, to Bethesda. When the crowds learned it, they followed Him. And listen to this. This is also new to our text. Additional, supplemental. He welcomed them. Welcome. What, what? Don't you picture the, the expressions on the disciples' faces who were beleaguered, who were exhausted, hadn't eaten, and he says, well, you need to get some rest. And they're counting on it. Now your head's fixed on that, right? You're fixated on that, to borrow from Jung. Right. Yeah. It's like, okay, I'm going to get rest, I'm going to get rest. What does that do to your psyche when you get there? And he's like, look, Welcome. I don't know that he joined them in that welcome but he goes on he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing he was busy wasn't he he had to be at least as worn out as the disciples so he's healed there's thousands there he's healing them you know, he's blessing. You know, he's, the things he's saying is comforting. You know, the things that he's doing are just are, 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 are an amazing blessing to these people who are otherwise infirm. And he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus did. You can look at the beginning of Acts. Same thing there. The end of Luke in that transitional time. Teaching about. The kingdom of God is what Jesus did. As well as healing. As well as feeding. And as well as being rejected. Mark 6.34 When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's new too. Amen. Wow. So. So there's a compunction there. Look at them wander. They're all perishing. They're dead and blind enemies. They've got no one to lead them. These religious hypocrites should be leading them to me. And they're not. Like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things because, after all, that's the real sustenance they need, right? That's the real bread they need. That's really what's going to help them. It's the words. Even more than the bread and the fish, it's the words. Four. Fourth life lesson learned from our loving Lord. Fourth. Jesus tests us by calling us to obey him even when his commands seem impossible to us. Hear me now. Listen to this. This is the one you needed today. I'm not a prophet nor the son of one. Do we not need this point? I do. Jesus tests us by calling us to obey Him, even when His commands seem impossible to us. We're going to take verse 3 through 9 in our text now. Let's take it all at once. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there He sat down with His disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up His eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward Him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread? (laughs) Isn't that an interesting thing for Jesus? Who can create anything out of nothing? (laughs) Where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this. Aren't you glad when these inclusions are in the text? He said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do Philip answered, 200 denarii would, buy, would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. That's how the ESV puts it in Mark's version. E- even if you came up with 200 denarii a denarius was, was a day's wage. So 200 days worth of labor, you know, two-thirds of the year or, or whatever worth of pay, you wouldn't come up with even a crumb for these people. Any calculators among us? Anybody given to the propensity of the human being to count, measure, and weigh? That's Philip. He loves him. I think he did this with a smile on his face. He loves Philip. Died for Philip. Philip, what are we going to (laughs) do? He set him up, man. He set him up. He knows what he's going to do. He's going to start calculating. And there he goes, 200 denarii. You can't even get... Even if we had that, no way. One of His disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Him, Well, there's a boy here who has five five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? You've seen Him turn huge vats of water into wine. You've seen him heal the official's son. You've seen him heal a man lame for 38 years. You're asking this question. Wow. So Philip, though, he intrigues me. He's an intensely practical person. He's sort of the engineer. He's one of those science guys. He's one of those guys who's calculating things. all. He can't stop calculating, right? So he's arriving at conclusions based solely on On what he can behold with his five senses. Jesus is exposing that. What are we going to do, Philip? Philip's looking at 15,000, 20,000 plus people. You could see the smoke coming out of his ears, couldn't you? He counted, he measured, and he weighed without any thought to who just asked him that question. And what they had already witnessed with their own eyes. He's a, an amazing guy. So Jesus obviously is testing his faith. Do you really believe who I am? Didn't you go over to Nathaniel and say we found him? You remember that part of John goes over to Nathaniel. We found him. We found him. We found the one we've been waiting for. He's here. What happened to that? Well, let's jump ahead a little bit. Just on this man. Let me indulge a little bit with Philip here just for a moment. He's just a a wonderful person. John 14, 8 to 11. Listen to what Philip says to Jesus here. Philip said to him, Lord, Show us the Father and it's enough for us. See, the five senses thing. The scientist, the engineer, the mathematician. Just just show that to us, right? What did Thomas say? I'm not going to believe until what? I want to actually put my hand in his side. And Jesus, is this not wonderful? A wonderful indulgence that he grants Thomas? Look at this. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, I think they had a wonderful relationship. I think he had all these awesome relationships with every one of these guys, and they all had different personalities. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? He was the one who cried out to Nathaniel and said, he's here, he got it. I mean, you still don't know me. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now the wheels are going again. that's impossible, that's impossible, that's impossible, that's impossible. That's impossible. That's impossible. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe, circle that word, right? How can you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. But believe, it's going to take belief, no matter how you get there from here, no matter how you calculate it, no matter how you get there, this is where you have to get belief. You have to believe. Without equivocation, without qualification, you have to believe. Like children. Believe what he says, it's his words. If he's said it, believe it. Andrew and the boy, well, how is it that Andrew knew to go find this or knew about this boy? Well, we can pick that up from Mark, Mark's account, Mark, Mark 6, 38. Uh, this was in response to, uh, to Jesus. He said to them, Jesus said to the disciples in, in that spot, how many loaves do you have? What does he say after that? Three words. Go and see. It's not in our text, but here it is. So he sent them in. He's doing this deliberately. Go see what you've got. And they probably got to be thinking, well, I don't know if we're going to have enough for all these folks. I I know that. There's something I'm doing here, something great something grand and something glorious. Go see. See what you got. Let me know what you come up with. <laughs> and when they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. So Jesus challenges us in the same way. Destiny. He puts us into a tough situation to see if we'll rise up above the human senses, the human calculations. I've calculated this thing. I've counted it out. I'm a mathematician engineer all at once. Some of the hardest people to get to the place of simple belief. We all have some of that in us. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's why it's called faith. It's trust. It's trust. So we calculate. We look with our eyes and we hear with our ears. Whatever our senses can, can pull together. And then we calculate. We count. We measure. And then we weigh. Nope, this, this is Impossible. What do you say when the disciples were discouraged when he dealt with the rich young ruler? Boy, if you've got to do all that, if he's got to sell everything, I mean, this guy was obeying the law since he was a child. How could it, it's impossible for us to acquire salvation. That's right. With man, what? It is impossible. That's why it's called faith. We walk by faith. What and not by what? We walk by faith and not by sight, Philip. Stop calculating. Stop telling God in your heart of hearts, this can't work out. <laughs> I've consulted with the scientists. I've consulted with the medical doctors. This, this just can't end well. Oh. Have you not seen the Lord do something remarkable? How about saving you? Why do we stop there? We go back to counting and measuring and weighing again, just like dear Philip. Whatever is humanly visible, whatever we can, can calculate, whatever we can tabulate in our minds, what, what a sad way to live. Did you ever see somebody filled with faith and the holy ghost Don't get nervous reform folks I'm all right Did you Did you ever see somebody facing something insurmountable with a smile on their face and they're not crazy And you said I want that I want that Lord then believe. Believe. But 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 there's there's no way this can happen. By your calculation? Because I'm testing your faith. Have you found me ever unfaithful? I am your refuge. I will supply. I will deliver you. Number Five, Jesus offers us the incomparable privilege of allowing us to display his power in service to him how 's that for a you know a gig <laughs> You get to use the Word of God, be used of God instrumentally display to put his power on display that 's what he 's doing with the disciples that 's what he continues to do today, but it comes with one main ingredient in place in you and I, and that is faith, unwavering faith. Amen. People can see that. We overwhelm them with words. A ton of verbiage, like a great avalanche we pile on them. And then they see us with little, weak, meager faith that falls apart when things get difficult. I'd rather they saw my faith than all my words. Amen. Wouldn't you? Standing in the midst of the trials. Mute. Like he was in the worst trial ever. Why didn't he speak up? This was all lies. Why didn't he fire up the crowd that knew who he was? Because he knew what he came to do. So Jesus offers us the incomparable privilege of allowing us to display his power in service to him. Matthew 14, let's look at Matthew's account here for some help. So now when it was evening, so now this was evening, so we can understand from him. And also in Mark's account, he says when it grew late. And in Luke's account in chapter 9, it's the day began to wear away. So we know this was the end of the day by the synoptics. So he has been healing and teaching all day. So much for their rest. So much for their rest. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. They all say that too, by the way. This is a desolate place. This is Matthew 14, 15 to 17. The day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said they need not go away you give them something to eat you give it to them you feed them every one of these synoptic accounts why should they have to go somewhere else you feed them give them something to eat do you have something to give them Oh, you bet you do. Oh, my. They said, we have only five loaves here and two fish. I'm not a preacher. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a biblical counselor. I'm none of those things. You have nothing to give. Well, take those few loaves and those couple fish you have and feed someone. Someone. You give it to them. You feed them. Every synoptic account. Mark 6, 35 to 37. He answered them, you give them something to eat. Luke 9, 12 to 13. You give them something to eat. Who does this remind you of? While while I was going through this section, it reminded me of someone. At the end of John's gospel, anybody with me? Who? Peter. Peter. Yes. Do you love me? What does he say after that? Tend my lambs, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Three times he has to tell him, "You're not getting it. Feed my sheep. They're hurting." They're lost. They have no hope. They're perishing. Give them my words of life. If you have fear of man, that's something to repent of. If you are a peep, consummate people pleaser, that's something to repent of. If you are seeking, if you have approbation lust, in other words, you look for the approval of others and that keeps you mute, you need to repent of that. Feed His sheep, that's why we're here. Or wouldn't He just take us home to be with Him? He loves us. He died for us. He's got work to do here. But He's got the right hand of the Father right now. So where's His body? You're looking at it. The body of Christ is you who have Him resident in your heart. You feed them. Peter, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Number six, Jesus often allows us to reach the end of ourselves, exhausting all of our resources first before he acts. I mentioned this earlier. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. So they all came to the conclusion... There's no way this can happen. Philip's like, look, even if we had 200 denarii, we couldn't give them a crumb. It's too many. They've all said the same thing. He did that deliberately. He made that clear. You do not have any resources. You are exhausted as far as resources. The disciples were literally exhausted, period. They had nothing. Nothing. So you're called upon... To do something, and you're looking at the Lord and you're saying, I don't have the resources to face this. Good, that's right where I want you. Because now I can display my glory through you. There's no other way. Because we get in the way of ourselves. If I say okay boy I'm I'm energized now the the funds are in place for me to do this ministry or this missionary work or whatever it is we're all set and ready Have the people sit down Now there was much grass in the place so the men sat down about 5000 men Matthew 14:18 says They said to him, we have only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. Now that you've made your tally, now that you've counted and you've measured and you've weighed my abilities in your balances and said it can't happen, now bring it to me. Give me the, you want the five loaves and the two fish? Yeah, bring them. Bring them to me. Have the people sit down where there is much grass, so it's comfortable. He's on the hill. Mark 6, 39 to 40. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups. We learn that here on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. So it was a very organized, common way to, f- to tend to a large crowd is to have them sit in these fifties and hundreds in these groups, very efficiently organized. But where are you going to get the food? Alexander McLaren says, when we, once, when we have once gone right... Listen carefully. This is 19th century speaking, but it's so rich. When we have once gone right down into the depths of felt impotence, and when our work has risen before us, as if it were far too great for our poor strengths, which are weaknesses... Then we are brought, and only then, into the position in which we may begin to hope that power equal to our desire will be poured out into our souls, end quote. Only then. I can't take this anymore. I can't deal with all of this. This is impossible. Great. Now I can show you something fantastic. If you believe. If you turn to me, if you trust, no, I'm still scrounging around for more resources in my own own ability. Okay, wear yourself out. I'll be here when you get done. When you fall flat on your face, I'll be here. I always am. Have them sit down. There's much grass in the place. So the men sat down. when the Lord says sit and wait we should quietly and obediently sit and wait as we turn to Him with expectation that something's going to happen then they get fed then they get fed everybody had to be in Spreading the word. There's no food here. They've got five fish, or five loaves and two fish. But God, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. But you see, the sticky wicked is getting to that place. Where we finally stand down. Sit down in the green grass. In a comfortable place. Wait with trust and you'll be fed. Seven. Seven. Jesus shows us the importance of giving thanks to the Father for His generous, unlimited provision. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves and when He had given thanks, He distributed them to those who were seated. Those who were seated, done looking, done rifling through their purses to count how, much, how many denarii they have. Out of resources. He gives thanks. He, and so also the fish. And look what it says. As much as they wanted. You thought I might be stingy with you? That's why you continued to try to work this thing out yourself. <laughs> you, th- you thought I was going to come up short in terms of knowing what you need and giving you everything you, you could possibly need? But you don't know my appetite, Lord. Yes, I do. And I'm willing to meet that. I'm willing to satiate what is most hungry in you. Something of which you know little about, because you're still looking at physical things. As much as they wanted, Jesus creates unlimited amounts of bread and fish, ex nihilo. Here it comes. He is the creator of all. This is Jehovah Jireh, the God who will provide. The Lord provides. This is him. This is the Lord who provides whatever we need, heals us both spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Maybe not in this life, but he'll do it. We pray that he would do it here. Sometimes He does. And so we should pray. But you will have everything you've ever... You already have access by your faith in Him to everything you could ever ask, need, or want. Jesus, number eight, teaches us the importance of good stewardship. Verse 12 and 13. And when they had eaten their fill. He told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Boy, you could mull over that for a while, couldn't you? So that nothing may be lost, these fragments, these broken pieces. You gather them up. I want not a crumb, not a broken piece lost. And bring them. And look what he does. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets of fragments. How many disciples were there? Oh, so they got fed after all. They got their rest. They got their falafel. Wonderful. That's the Lord. Twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. So you wait till everybody eats first. Is that a challenge sometimes? (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to get mine. Thousands of people, tens of thousands, have eaten. They're done. They're fully satiated. They're full. Don't eat anymore. Well, gather up. I don't want a, a single piece lost because that's, that's for my disciples. So they're amply fed. Nothing goes to waste in God's economy. And so nothing should go to waste in ours. Nine. This is the final one. Final life lesson learned from the loving Lord. Jesus shows us that his revelation as the Savior, the Son of God, often comes in phases. Let, let this help you, maybe some of you, in, in some of your understanding, because you're maybe thinking in terms of all or nothing like waiting for that person, comes to Christ. They haven't come to Christ. But they've grabbed on to certain aspects. He has that way with some people where they'll get some things, but not others, not yet, right? And that's what we see here, verse 14 and 15. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then, that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So, they seem to get what Moses taught in Deuteronomy 18.15, that there's going to be another prophet. You need to listen to him. He's coming after me. Yeah, that's the Messiah. So there's some that get that. In other texts in the Gospels, you'll see that. This is the prophet. This is the prophet. Good. He's going to lead us against Rome. What? No, that's not why he's here. So people can accurately identify who Jesus is as the Christ. Just know this. But then you hear them say another thing and it's like, no, 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 no. Uh, That's not what he came to do. That's what is so damnable about a half a gospel. You need to tell them a whole truth. So they know why he came. He came because we are wretched, dead, and blind sinners. Enemies of his, Romans 5. They need to know that. But God, who's rich in mercy. Because of the greatness of his love with which he loved us. Made us alive in Christ. For you have been saved by grace. Now there's the whole gospel. But you got to read verse 1 through 3 in chapter 2 of Ephesians. For you were what? When he found you dead in your trespasses and sins, following the god of this world. That's a whole gospel. They got to have 1 through 3 in Ephesians 2 before you to get to 8 and 9. It is by grace that you are saved through faith that not of yourselves it's a gift of God not of works or we would what boast God would owe us some, some of his glory come on I made that I raised that hand that day and I went out that was all me do you know that repentance is granted did you know that repentance is a gift you didn't come up with that you were dead dead is dead you were blind and you were the enemy of God. <laughs> scripture is clear. You think of some, some characters in the Scripture came to mind about being kind of partway there in their understanding. Uh, some accurate things and inaccurate. How about Nicodemus? I'm starting to get who this is, but fill in the blanks for me, will you? How about Peter? Denying him three times. I'm going to finish with a couple of passages and we're done. In John chapter seven, verse 40 to 44. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Oh my, here we go. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David is? So there was a division among them. Of course there was. There was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. I'm sure there's others that wanted to kill him. They need a whole gospel, friends. They need to know who the whole Christ is. Matthew 21, 9 to 11, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Is that where he was from? (laughs) Where did he need to be from? Bethlehem, isn't that where he was from? Then he had to leave, right, under threat of his life when he was baby, when he was born. That's where he was born. He's not from Nazareth. They got it wrong. We need to correct that. Don't be afraid to speak up the words of truth. It is the truth that will set you free. You know the truth, and the truth has set you free. Give them the words. Give them the whole gospel. Give them a whole Christ. Give them a whole life-saving, life-redeeming gospel. God, have mercy on us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you most of all for your patience with us. Thank you for your long-suffering patience. Thank you that it is us who need to fill out our understanding. Indeed, we will need to learn. We will need to consult and meditate on and consider the Scriptures the remainder of our time here on earth until we see our blessed Lord in all of His glory in heaven. So may that be. Oh, Lord, give us opportunity. Free up our mouths. Bring repentance where repentance is needed that you might be glorified and that lives might be saved in Christ's name and for His glory. Amen.